0: He never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself.
1: Hello, and welcome to Hi the only martial arts podcast that will flip you for real. Episode number 40, recorded July 28th, 2013, starts now. What are you saying?
0: I said,
1: you will flip you. Do what? Flip you. For real. Yeah, I'm
0: shaking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my computer is Just giving me the you. business today. Oh my God. I'll cut that silence out there.
0: That
2: was nice. <laughs> Usual suspects.
1: Yep, yep, yep. All right. Uh,. Cool. What's new, Craig? I'll tell you what's new with me I need a new fucking computer Yeah,
2: yeah, I think you do
1: (sighs) Anyway, uh, again, what's new with you, Craig? Ah, you know it Okay, well, I guess I do There you have it All dressed up like business boy in your monkey suit today Hey, gotta do it from time to time You do, apparently Yeah, yeah yeah. Um, Well, we've got a great show coming up for you folks Yes, we do Yes, we do Um, Who we got, Dave? Well, uh, we're going to have a special media mop-up with our good buddy, Slam and Sambo Steve Kepfer. Sweet. That's right. He's got a new project that I think you're all going to want to check out. Cool. And also on tonight's show, we have Jennifer Oulette. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I met her uh, at TAM, and she is the author of a bunch of popular science books. Uh, hmm. The Physics of the Buffyverse, The Calculus <laughs> Diaries, How Math Can Help You Lose Weight When in Vegas and Survive the Zombie Apocalypse, and a whole nice. lot more, and she is also a rough and tumble black belt in Jiu-Jitsu.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yep. So uh, we're going to talk some martial arts with her, and uh, finally get another woman on the show here on episode 40.
2: There you go. <laughs> Hi out of that. We're High pushing. Out of that. We're getting them out there. Yes, indeed.
1: Um So, yeah, just a couple of little things to clean up here before we get on with the show. A little
2: housekeeping. Yeah, a little house cleaning.
1: I put out the uh, pleading call for the iTunes reviews once again on our Facebook page, and we did get at least one more. I haven't checked back Ooh. today, but uh, thank you very much for that.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: iTunes is a mysterious uh, black hole of how that, <laughs> that thing works.
2: That's for sure. That's for sure.
1: Um, but apparently the only thing we can count on is that the more good reviews and ratings we have, the more people will see our podcast.
2: Yes, indeed. Yeah, you're talking about the way it ranks us and all that kind of stuff. It's tough to figure out, man. I'm... I mean,
1: what the hell? I You know, I go in there and I I, I search for martial arts podcast just mm-hmm. to see what's in there. And we're, you know, we're f- usually hovering somewhere three to five columns down in
2: that. Yeah, which is crazy because I've done all the work for SEO on it. You do that search in Google, Yahoo, anywhere else, and we come up number one. But for some reason, iTunes is like,
1: well, yeah, and you look at the stuff that's above us, and a lot of it, a lot of it is like... Podcast with nine episodes that went off the air in 2009. That's How are retarded. they beating us? <laughs> you know?
2: Because they, they were just awesome. And, yeah, yeah. They, must have, they must have got a billion
1: downloads back then so they're just uh, unshakable from the top of the mountain or something. I don't know what the hell is going on it's over there. It's messed up. But anyway, you can really help us reach people by going out there and rating and reviewing on iTunes. And uh, for those of you who have already done it, we appreciate you so yeah. much.
2: And keep up the uh, interaction on the Facebook page. y'all. You know, if you have not liked us there and become kind of a community member do so because uh yeah it's our voices coming out and those of our interviewees and whatnot but really we wouldn't be the, doing this you know this long if it wasn't for y'all so that's right you're the community get out speak to each other post uh comments post little stories you know make yeah. it a community y'all
1: you're not paying for it so you're not feeding our families so please exactly. feed our egos there you
2: go <laughs> <laughs> you gotta feed something
1: that's right and uh, also real quickly right here at the front want to Throw out a thanks to Ben Judkins. Uh, he was on a couple of episodes back, and uh, what a it was a great guest, great interview. Got a lot of people thinking. We got a, got got yeah. a lot of good feedback on that, and uh, he put a blog post up about his uh, sojourn on the show. So,
0: oh, uh, yeah, I, it was
1: right when I was busy getting ready to go to Vegas and doing all bunch of other stuff. So I actually didn't see it until just recently, but. Right. But we certainly appreciate uh, him pimping us out a little bit in return.
2: Definitely. And uh, happy anniversary, by the way, Ben. I uh, just noticed on July 27th makes your uh, first year anniversary of the Kung Fu Tea Blog. So, yeah! yeah.
1: yeah. Applause. Um, yeah. So, uh, Craig, unless you got anything else?
2: Uh, very little, my friend. Very
1: little. Well, let's slip out to this uh, champagne lounge and flip one. All
0: All right,
2: right. flipping (laughs) three. We'll be right back. On six,
0: six, six to six. I was little, I didn't know shit. About seven, seven, seven to seven.
1: we're back we've got a special media mop-up for you here tonight we've got Slam and steve kepfer back on
3: hey hey Hey, what's up guys
1: oh you know the usual how are you doing buddy
3: i'm doing good doing good glad to be on again
1: yeah and we're squeezing you into the media mop-up section this time because uh you're big time star now (laughs) you got all hollywood Uh. on us (laughs) <laughs>
3: yeah, I would say small time, okay. not big time, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, so Steve's got a, a new documentary out that he's in, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a producer on this as well.
3: I am, it's yes. It's called
1: uh, New York Mixed Martial Arts, and it's all about the struggle to make uh, martial arts, uh, MMA, sorry, legal in New York City. And it's pretty damn cool. I watched it the other night on Hulu, and we're going to tell all you Hi-Yah people to go out there and watch it yourselves. You can do it for free. We know how our audience loves free, <laughs> about as much as we do.
3: <laughs> yeah, everybody does. Me too. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, so, uh, Steve, why don't you go ahead and just uh, tell us first off a little bit about uh, you know exactly what the movie's about and how it came to be that sure. this uh, this whole thing came together.
3: Sure. Um, it's actually about the struggle to regulate pro MMA in New York State, not just New York oh, City. Sorry. But uh, no, that's okay. No, I mean, anybody
1: uh, that's not from there thinks it's all New York City anyway.
3: New York City. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that's all right. Those of us that live in the city think that's all that counts too. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> but really, this this, this um, film—just to give a brief history—it actually premiered in 2011. But uh, it's taken you know about two years to go through the process of, of premiering it on uh, Hulu and distributing. So it's been a long time coming. Yeah, they, we actually had
1: let to, me ask, did you guys run it through the festival circuit at all? Were there any festivals that wanted yeah. that sort of thing? Okay, cool.
3: Yeah, yeah. We we um, premiered at the Bronx Week Film Festival here in New York City. Wow. And then we also screened at uh, the uh, Madison Square Garden held a mixed martial arts documentary film festival. And we screened in Las Vegas at Fight Summit. And, uh, you know, we took it on the road. We actually screened in theaters you know a few select theaters that would uh that were interested in screening the movie over the last two years so around new york state and uh actually in texas too we screened it in texas
1: nice did you uh <laughs> did you have any adventures at these uh, did you go along to any of these and and do q and a's and stuff like that
3: oh yeah yeah we yeah we did uh, myself and the director colleen Poole, we we were at uh, all these together and um you know, doing the Q and A, and and some Q and A were more, uh, some of the questions were more informed than others. You know, and then uh, some of the some of the questions, of course, were directed towards the people in the film, depending on if if, if let's say Brad Dezier, who's one of the fighters featured in the film, if he was there or if anybody else was there. But um, you know, yeah. we tried to stay away from the politics a little bit in this film and just sort of use it more as an educational tool. And a history lesson about mixed martial arts. Right.
1: Ooh. Cool. <clears throat> well, uh, it sounds like you didn't have to run into the audience and flip anybody at any of those. So that's a good thing.
3: <laughs> Not that we didn't want to. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, nice but, done. Um, <laughs> but we didn't.
1: Cool. Yeah. So I'm sorry I cut you off there. Go ahead and, and, and finish telling me, uh, telling our listeners how this came together.
3: Uh, well, it The story is kind of funny. It it came together because um, Kaleem, the director, was working on a web-based series called New York MMA. And it basically was um, a a series of profiles of gyms in New York. You know, each one was about maybe eight to ten minutes long, like quick little webisodes. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was on episode three, which was featuring our gym. And I had gotten a call – Through my work with the Coalition to Legalize MMA, I had gotten a call from the the Bronx Week Film Festival asking if I knew of any uh, documentaries about MMA that could be submitted. And then I just kind of lied and said, oh, yeah, we got one that we're about to wrap up. (laughs) And uh, so then I called Colleen and I was like, all right, we actually have to make a feature film now you know and uh that's when i sort of went from being just the subject of a short film to um you know working behind the camera yeah yeah as a producer yeah stuck your foot in it there didn't you (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure did but it was it was worth it you know i mean it's i'll tell you what man it's not an easy job you know it is definitely not an easy job trying to promote the movie and, and uh, build up the movie and get money for the movie and all the things that a, a producer does. It, it's, it's my first time doing something like that. So uh, it was a learning experience for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I worked on a couple of independent productions uh, uh, several years ago when I was younger, and it's amazing the amount of work that goes into that, especially when you're working outside of a studio system and, you know, you've got a handful of people, some of whom are working for free, you know and trying to pull yep. it all together. It's, it's a it's a Herculean effort.
2: Well, let me ask you this, yeah, Steve. Yeah. Um, I was curious. You said it's a learning experience. Um, how did you go about that just from trial and error? Did you happen to run into a mentor, kind of help walk you through it? Or, you know, how did you well, learn?
3: Yeah, I mean, part of it, I mean, I was lucky because of the Sambo Association. I had been involved in a few uh, media projects before and some television, so I had – sort of a maybe a basic idea of what i needed to do you know and um i was an advisor for an episode of the human weapon on uh uh and then also you know in uh, tahani tackles the globe on travel channel so i got a little bit of experience there just by listening and asking questions and then uh you know i've come across people in the business so i, I just you know cashed in my chips you know you know yeah. you, you know when you you meet people, and you say, hey, you know, and they say, Yeah, hey, call me sometime if you need anything. And usually people don't, but I just called everybody. <laughs> Use your network, man. You got to do it. Yeah, that's it. That's it.
1: Well, let me uh, let me ask you just a couple of fairly specific questions because I have seen the movie already. Um, cheater. One thing I – cheater, is that what you said, Craig? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <Bye. laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you about was um, – uh, it's, it wasn't entirely clear to me in the film, and I, I may get it on a second watch, but how does sure. how does the M1 tryouts thing that was in there work? Is that people trying out to be on a professional fight team, or I, I was uh, a little yeah. unclear about what was actually, you know, what the purpose of that was? Sure.
3: Yeah, no, I give a little history of that, and then sort of the follow-up since, the you know, we finished filming the movie, you know, in 2011, let you know what happened after. Yeah. But um, the M1 is is a... Is a promotion a mixed martial arts promotion based out of Russia, oh. and um, you know basically what they'll do is they have a, a three tiered system, and they and they used to actually have a contract with Showtime, which they don't have anymore, but uh, at the time uh, when we were filming the movie, they did, and they were doing co promotions with uh, Affliction, which had you know a couple of shows, and uh, they were doing co promotions with Strike Force. That's how Fedor ended up fighting in Strike Force. Oh, okay. Um, so, what they would do—the uh, three tiers—they would have sort of um, national, you know, uh, like they like had M1 Americas, for example, and then they they would have sort of a, a tournament circuit uh, in America, and then they would, the winners of that one would move on to uh, sort of uh, regional, global stuff, and then the winners would go into the of that would go to the main M1 usually in russia okay and um so you know part of the part of the way to find potential talent is to hold tryouts so that's exactly what that uh was documenting so um uh what what people will see in the film is the the fighter bradley desire who at the time was an amateur uh trying out for a professional organization
1: and doing quite well actually (laughs)
3: Yeah, he did good. I mean, uh, there were several guys there uh who were already pros and who had already fought uh in some high-level events and stuff and um you know, he did well. Of course, the other guys did some of the other guys did really well too, but being that Brad was the feature of the movie, we had to show his his highlights. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And we don't we but, don't want to spoil too much, but it was it was cool watching that process go down. Um you know, like just uh having setting up little stages so they could watch what these people could do, like having him, you know, escape from Mount and then heel picking him on the way out or whatever and, you know, (laughs) seeing how he reacted to specific elements of, uh, you know, what he was going to be doing in the ring.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, it was cool, but just, you know, you'll see, um, you can see M1 in America is very small. Worldwide, it's pretty big, but, uh, you know, obviously here in America, the, the big one is the UFC and in that scene at the end of the movie when you see Dana White speaking to a massive crowd of people yeah. where he's saying, you know, we're going to give you a hundred bucks for every submission that you get. Right. Just by comparison, that was the tryouts for the ultimate fighter television show. Right. So it's, it's, uh, you can see the difference in, in, um, notoriety and, and, uh, you know, level of attendance and things like that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. One other little question I had for you. Um, uh, you know there there were uh several times when you would have uh, uh, you know different uh talking heads i guess you'd say you know sort of explain mm-hmm. either uh journalists or fighters or whatever uh explaining why they thought it was taking so long to do this yeah and uh I, well like one of the ones that intrigued me uh and i, I you know again i don 't know what you're going to want to say about this if anything but uh, sure. was put down to the reason was given or part of the reason given was that the lawmakers are just kind of elitist old school blue bloods who uh you know sort of despise anything that doesn't fit with their cocktail party atmosphere or don't care about it in other words Uh, and that was that was a new one i'd never heard that one before where uh
3: well you know i I, that was that was when uh yeah i remember the part that was when eddie goldman the veteran journalist was sort of given a breakdown and um of the history. And, you know, it's, it's impossible to give a 16-year history in a in, in, in short period of time. Right. And, and the, the reasons why mixed martial arts have stayed banned in, in New York State over 16 years have changed over the years. You know, every few years you got a different reason. But um, certainly in the earlier days of the ban, it did have to do j- simply with uh, dislike by the politicians, you know, and there are several quotes uh even by Bob Riley, who was featured in the very opening mm-hmm. of the movie uh he's retired now okay. uh he retired after this movie was completed but um but he there's quote quotes by him on on record him saying that he would ban boxing if he could go back and do it again wow. yeah um it so it there definitely is that feeling, but you know now we actually have a majority of support from the legislators. it's just a few powerful people that are holding back the 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 regulation of sport for completely different reasons yeah yeah
1: Yeah, it just struck me as as odd but i guess i have to remind myself that you know uh, new york is a, a fairly liberal place when I when I think about the elites and what they like, you know, I'm thinking about bear baiting and fox hunting, and you know, <laughs> not usually yeah. shying away from the violence uh, as long as it's perpetrated on you know people of lesser stature. But
3: uh, yeah, maybe maybe it would be fine if it was their housekeepers fighting in the cage. Right. I don't know.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, Craig, you got anything specific you want to ask about the film? I know you haven't seen it yet, but
2: uh, no, I haven't. Um, actually. Pretty psyched to see it after just hearing what you were talking about about the stages of training and whatnot. It sounded like this guy Brad was going through. Um, that sounds intriguing. That to me sounds almost like a you know old kung fu movie. Of, you know, st- stage stage training yeah. and uh, that that's just kind of badass sounding.
3: Well, I think Brad Brad's a good um, a good focus of the story and and a, and a good uh, example of let's say the average. New York fighter who's sort of um, disenfranchised from the sport, you know, if he wants to stay in New York, because he's, you know, I've been working with Brad pretty much since he got out of the Marine Corps, you know, and uh, he served in Iraq, two terms in Iraq, and uh, Uh, you know, you'll see some stuff about that in the movie too. Yeah, I love the
1: smokers they had in there that he was in 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 Iraq, that was was pretty enlightening. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty pretty crazy, fighting in the sand pits and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so you you do get to see sort of his transition, you know. And and the movie co- sort of covers his amateur growth up until the point where he's about to turn pro, which was the M1 trials. That was sort of his first attempt at anything professional, you know. And then, uh, you know, since, since the movie was completed, you know, he's gone on to turn pro and uh, he's got – a two-in-one record as a pro he's got another fight coming up on august 17th in atlantic city and um you know he's making his way as a pro which is not easy to do
1: cool if we got any listeners in atlantic city get out there and check him out and support him
3: definitely yeah you can you can check out his his website it's dot mma.com
1: and that's d-e-s-i-r right
3: yeah yeah
1: okay um well, uh, you know, I'm I'm really proud of you, Steve. That's a it's a quality film. I know I, I chided you a little bit about the the blurry credits at the end, but that's being fixed. You, you've assured me.
3: <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, we should we should tell the listeners that if you if you try to watch the credits at the end, they are blurry now, and there was a there was a glitch, and the the film had to be. Uh, digitized. Switched to another format for, for streaming and there was a, there was a bit of a problem that happened so like the content of the movie is fine yeah the credits are a little blurry but that's already that's already being corrected now I don't know how fast Hulu will be about it, but I know that it, they have the corrected version of the film so
1: yeah and also you know if you do watch it and you're curious about something uh, most of the people involved with it are listed on your on your blog If you just Google New York Mixed Martial Arts movie uh, you can you can find all that info.
3: <coughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody everybody is uh um in the movie is is pretty accessible, you know. Uh so I would say and just reach out to me if you had questions or, or the film on Twitter, you can follow the film at uh NYMMA film on Twitter. Okay. And you know, I run that Twitter site, so if you if you tweet there, you'll get me and uh we can go from there. I noticed
2: that this morning when you um, kind of pinged us on Twitter, a little bit. First yeah. it came from the uh, movie account, and then from your account. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well, you know, I retweet everything that I post. So it's like if I post something on the movie site, I'll retweet it with my personal site and vice versa. That's cool.
1: Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how that stupid thing works, but I, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I've tweeted a couple of things lately anyway. Yeah, um, yeah so and are you, guys, are you guys still open to doing screenings and that sort of thing if anyone's interested?
3: Yeah, sure. Of course. Uh, we're, we're hoping to do one uh, in conjunction with the – there's a charity called um, uh, Fight to Live and uh, they are a new nonprofit. I was asked to be on the board of directors which I accepted and it's it's uh, a nonprofit geared towards helping raise funding and, and other types of services for people in the martial arts community that have life-threatening illness. yeah. And uh, I'm on the board, and so is uh, Chris Weidman, who was on the board before, but now he's the new – he just beat Anderson Silver right. in the UFC. <laughs> Everybody right?
2: knows that name. Yep.
3: Yeah, and Octavia Bourdain, uh, Anthony Bourdain's yep. wife, is on the board. And uh, there's several really great folks. And the, the woman who founded the organization, who's a cancer survivor herself, uh, Kristen, and she's really awesome. Um, so we're going to try and do a, ch- uh, a screening – of the movie you know to raise money for the organization and uh both myself and chris weidman are alumni of hofstra university so we're going to reach out to them and see if we can get a a screening and appearance with chris and everything going on over at at hofstra and raise some money for the organization
1: awesome really awesome yeah well make sure you keep us posted about anything uh excuse me anything new that comes up with this film and, and we'll make sure and let the listeners know about it
3: yeah
2: absolutely man Do you uh just uh, out of curiosity, anything else in the pipeline uh the fancy Hollywood type <laughs> any other uh, movie projects
3: well not not nothing concrete, but um I have been talking with a few people about you know I'll tell you what after I finished this film, I said, no more documentaries. I'm done. It's such so much work, but now I kind of have the bug yeah.
0: <laughs> uh,
3: so i've I've spoken to a few people about another another film. Um I don't want to give too much out about the topic I'll tell you off off the radio sure, but sure. you know it's um it it's it's also you know focusing on the MMA community but a much more uh, national kind of issue so awesome. uh, so we'll see
1: And I I think I think the world's ready for a for a sambo based action film now too there maybe a gritty New York cop that does sambo and has to take down a gang of thugs or ruthless terrorists or something
3: Well I'll tell you what I one of my students Jabari Gray um, you can look him up on IMDB he's, a, he's an actor and uh, he, he was a regular on uh, Law and Order uh, for, for quite a while he was the forensic like sort of the Dexter version but he wasn't killing people right. <laughs> and, uh, and you know he's, he's uh, getting more and more uh, increasingly larger roles in various movies and things like that and uh, he did a, a he's also a, actually a singer he did a, a like a reggae singer because he's Jamaican. Wow, this guy's like Jackie
1: Chan. He's doing a little bit of everything.
3: Yeah, he did a he did a um, music video, and I choreographed the fight scenes for that, and that was that was a blast. I'm definitely have was, to look that, was,
2: that up. Oh yeah, that'll be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, no, I'll I'll post it up on your on your Facebook wall. Awesome, cool. Uh, you know, it's just everybody should keep in mind that it was a first time out, and and it was a self produced music video, so. Um, you know. Hey, that's
1: the way I like them. I'm I'm tired of this like, corporate goes. crap.
3: But it was fun. You get to see me running around with a gun and stuff. So.
1: <laughs> oh, that's where that picture comes from. Okay.
3: Oh yeah, the, yeah yeah, that one with me in the <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: That's awesome.
3: Yeah, that was that was filmed in a rooftop in in Brooklyn, and it was supposed to be Johannesburg, South Africa. So we like they have to keep keep filming in directions that didn't show Manhattan in the background. <laughs> <It's really fun. laughs>
1: Um, and you know, and also since we haven't had you on the show in a little while, uh, just uh, quickly here at the end, what's, uh, what's going on in, in, in your, uh, martial arts life there. I know you had a very recent, uh, seminar with Chris Yatskovich, uh, that looks yeah, like that yeah. went down really well. What else? Uh, tell us about that and whatever else you got going on.
3: Sure. Yeah. Chris, that was actually just this weekend. Uh, Chris headed back to Montreal this morning and, uh, we had a great time. You know, that was the first time he's ever been to New York. So I, lo- I love introducing people to New York City. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we did a, uh, it was a long day. It was like six hours. And I actually think I got a bit concussed. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we were practicing, uh, some wrestling. And, uh, somebody, one of my students threw me and I ended up landing on another guy's knee. Ow. Like, yeah. So I've been, yeah, f- yesterday the headache was killing me. And today it's not as bad, but it's still there. So, uh, you know i'm chilling but it was a, yeah. it was a good time and um you know in the future i got a couple of things going on i mean people can always check out the uh american sambo association website which is ussambo.com but i've got we've got our big annual tournament coming up in austin on august 17th we've got uh i'm doing a seminar in colorado springs in september and uh you know, I've got about five or six guys fighting in September too. Later on in the month, so uh, it's always busy. Usually, two or three weekends out of the month, I'm traveling somewhere or doing something. So, nice,
1: cool. Well, keep in touch with us, uh, Stephen. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
3: Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Our pleasure. Okay, folks, we're back. We've got Jennifer Ouellette in the studio, the virtual studio with us tonight. Uh, She is a writer of popular science books, including The Calculus Diaries, How Math Can Help You, Math Can Help You Lose Weight, (laughs) When in Vegas, and Survive the Zombie Apocalypse, and I just want to let you know, you had me at Zombie Apocalypse, I want to talk about that with you later. (laughs) Uh, The Physics of the Buffyverse, and uh, Black Bodies and Quantum Cats, Tales from the Annals of Physics. Uh, She's also a uh, blogger, she does a blog called Cocktail Party Physics at Scientific American, and... uh, She's the director of the Science and Entertainment Exchange for the National Academy of Sciences, and part of the intersection that brought her to Haya is she is a black belt in jujitsu. jitsu Wow. Yeah, that's quite a CV there. Yes, it is.
4: I would add that I actually, I'm the former director of the Science and Entertainment Exchange.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you need to update your website.
4: Oh.
1: <laughs> So and also, uh, just right up front and full disclosure, I, I got to meet Jennifer at, at TAM this year and uh, had a lovely experience there with her. And, and you know, we can uh, get your reflections on that at some point while we're talking. But let's uh, let's jump right in with the with the martial arts goodness. We want to hear about your your uh, your martial arts background, and and we start out with most people with what got them started in this. You know, what uh, what style caught your attention, and you know, adventures in martial arts
4: sure sure i mean i actually uh, started really late in martial arts um, i think when i was like twenty eight twenty nine years old i took a self-defense course at my gym when i was living in new york city just happened to be run by a guy who trained in the, in, a, in a dojo in Brooklyn. And uh, he was coming into Manhattan and, and running these self-defense classes.
0: Okay. And
4: I, a friend of mine was interested, but he was kind of – didn't want to do it alone, so he talked me into doing it. And, of course, as these things happen, I fell in love with it and he got bored. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not quite sure what it was. I mean – I I would say that, you know, the first three weeks we did nothing but learn how to fall because they kept telling us, believe me, you're going to be falling a lot. Uh, Jiu-jitsu, for those of you, I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with with the various styles. Um, Jiu-jitsu is kind of a combination of karate, judo, and Aikido. So it uses techniques from all of those things. You have the punching and kicking of karate. You have the joint locks. And, uh, and, and things like that from Aikido. And then you have some of the throws and the grappling, the ground fighting um, of Judo. And all of those things combined made up that particular style.
1: Yeah, and it's, I a, it's
4: the that. old school. I liked that.
1: It's the old school Japanese ju- uh, Jiu-Jitsu as opposed to the modern, mostly ground grappling Brazilian stuff.
4: Right, right. Although I, I, we tend to call it Brooklyn Jiu-Jitsu because was <laughs> kind of modified. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we had things like defense against club or baseball bat because those are common weapons, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: in Brooklyn and other places
4: <laughs> exactly so uh, and and then I, I just ended up keeping up with it when the class and the gym just couldn't afford to keep doing the class, I ended up tr- going out to Brooklyn three or four times a week because I just loved it that much, and it really was a wonderful community, I would say more than anything. I loved the scientific aspects of it. I loved the, you know, that a smaller person using leverage and momentum and things like that could actually throw a bigger person. I really liked the judo aspects of it. Um, and I also loved the community. Yeah. For me at that time, it was just a wonderful thing to have this sort of family atmosphere in this environment that was very accepting of your failures, because I failed a lot in those early years, as you <laughs> might imagine.
1: Sure, that's, that's the way we all do it. Let me ask you a question before we get too much further along here. Uh, you said you got into this because you went to a, a self-defense you know, self seminar. Or, or, you know, a
4: it was a, yeah, it was a series of classes, a regular class at the gym.
1: Okay, it was an ongoing class. I just wanted to ask you about this because a lot of these sort of self-defense seminar or, or ongoing class sort of things are, are directed very specifically at women. And I've seen, you know, the the quality of the material presented at them, you know, cover a broad range from absolutely horrendous advice to, to good stuff. And apparently you found somebody that gave you good advice in the first one, but, you know, what well, – what was your experience coming in? I mean, you know, were you fearful walking the streets or maybe a little more? You went in with a guy. So obviously, you know, everybody, I I lived in New York and got mugged twice uh, <laughs> while I was there for less than a year. So, uh, you know, it's relevant to everyone. But, um, you know, what what was that experience like that it actually brought you in instead of just making you paranoid or pushing you away or thinking, oh, this is bullshit, you know?
4: Yeah, I, I I would say that I was not particularly fearful. I mean, I lived in some pretty rough neighborhoods, but I, I you know I have kind of a you know shall we say a bitch face. So you know I <laughs> I, 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 um, I did not get harassed quite. A lot. I mean, obviously, any young woman living in New York City is going to get harassed. It's par for the course.
0: Sure.
4: Um, but you do quickly learn, you know, mechanisms of you know avoidance mechanisms and coping mechanisms. And I would not say I was harassed any more or less than anyone else. Right. The thing that I appreciated was that this class was not targeted towards women. I had taken a couple of, you know of those sillier, you know, sorts of... Yeah, hit them
1: with your keys. Uh,
4: it, it was very clear to me that, not, that that was absolute bull and it was not going to be do any good. And there might have been some good, you know, common sense tips for avoidance there, but I did not find them especially useful and I had no interest in that sort of thing whatsoever. Right. What I loved about this particular self-defense class was that it was a genuinely, they were not going to just teach you, spend an hour and teach you a couple of, you know, bonehead techniques. They were basically saying, Look, if you really, really are serious about this, then you have to develop some certain skills, and that takes time and it takes some commitment. And first of all, you need to know how to fall. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, that's awesome.
4: All the fancy stuff. You need to know how to fall. Yeah. And I really liked that. That was something that very much appealed to me
1: cool So uh, you know when you were training in the in the club and, and you know got, you obviously got interested enough to follow it all the way through and get a black belt uh, you know what was uh, what was training like? what was the environment like there?
4: Um, you know it, it was actually really good exercise. um, it was not just punching and kicking air you, you know, anyone who's done any kind of jiu-jitsu or judo knows that you need another body. <laughs> yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
4: and you 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 need to be able to lift that body. You need to be able to take a punch and feel it and feel how hard it is to actually punch a big guy and make him feel it. <laughs> yeah. all these things were were extremely useful to me, I think, in in getting a very realistic idea of what you can and cannot do, what the reality of the situation is in a self-defense uh, situation. Because I think that that's, you know, it, we get so used to, to doing techniques with trained people and they're jumping into it and you don't want to really hurt them and people pull their punches. And it can give you an unrealistic idea of what an actual altercation is going to be like. Yeah. and And it's going to be messy. You know, your techniques are not going to work you know that first punch isn't going to land the guy is not going to let go when you, when you you know cr- you know grab his grab his groin he, you know some guys tighten up you know? <laughs> right <laughs> you know and you don't know how the person's going to react and you'd better have more than one weapon in your arsenal to be able to deal with that um so I liked the structure of the classes as well. I mean, we focused on technique, obviously. You have to have the, train, the training and, and, and the repetition and, and to see how the technique is supposed to work. But then they were also very, very careful about making sure that you had these free for alls. saying, and this is what was actually, actually going to happen, <laughs> and it's not going to work, and the person's not going to jump into it, and the wrist lock might not be enough. Uh, so what do you do then? So that combination of the discipline and focusing on the technique, which you absolutely need, with, okay, now we're going to throw you in there and let's see how you do, um, which is scary. And that's why you need that safe environment where it's safe to fail.
1: Yeah, but it's also brilliant preparation because it will it will, it will will bring your nervousness up to, you know, close to the level you would feel on the street. And, uh, you know, you get random things happening, so you'll learn to adapt to that as opposed to going in with your pre-planned kata to you know mop up the the civilians with
4: right and actually every single belt test from yellow belt on from the from the most basic test on it's just you testing you there's only one person testing at a time and the it's designed to put as much pressure on you as possible psychologically they will yell at you. They will drop you for pushups, you know, and they'll tailor it to your personality a little bit. Like they went easier on me when I was a yellow and green belt. And as I got through the ranks, they got tougher and tougher on me. And the worst thing you can do on a test is when you screw up, if you stop, Right. <laughs> they screw everything up. But if you stop, that's an automatic zero. You flunk that, you know, that technique.
0: Right,
4: <laughs> you, know, because you have to not stop, you know what what are you going to do you're gonna, you, you, something's not going to work on the street, and you're just not going to stop and say, "Wait, that didn't work. Let's hit me again."
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, I know from martial artists to musicians, the uh, the first thing you learn is don't stop, you know, you screw up something on stage and you stop, and everybody in the audience knows it. If you keep playing, most of them won't catch it, you know,
4: <laughs> or they won't care or know? they won't
1: care, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, you got to learn how to change and move and just keep on moving, you know.
4: Yeah, and that was something that was very hard for me. I was one of those perfectionist sorts, you know, of kids. And so it was very important that I I was allowed to screw up.
1: Yeah. No, that that makes good sense. I mean... Uh, so m- moving along a little bit did, uh, and, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't want it to f- seem like I'm sort of flogging this, but we were we, as a martial arts podcast, uh, we're having a hard time getting female guests on You're only yeah. our second guest. That's uh, <clears throat> not a I'm, dude. You know,
4: I'm happy to talk about experience as a woman in the martial arts. No problem.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, your club sounds like it was a good, solid, rough and ready, practically minded club. You know, did you have, uh, did they treat you just like anyone else or did you have any issues being a? female and what was probably a mostly a group of mostly sweaty meathead guys
4: it was a lot of you know sweaty
1: guys
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, particularly early on i i I think i mentioned this at tam i was only the second woman to get a black belt in my particular style nice Uh, So, and the, the first woman was literally the year, a year or two before me. And for 35 years, they had not had a single woman pass that black belt test. I mean, it's a tough test. It's two and a half hours. It's pretty much heavy. It's very heavy contact. There's always at least one injury. You You have to pretty much sign a waiver before they even let you take the test. Nice. Um, So. And, and so it's very effective, but it also means that you know that really kind of macho culture is going to naturally keep out most women. Um, and also, it's it's very close body contact. I, I, you know, the a lot of the grappling, some of those positions are very, very Personal. sexual, shall we say? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, we had one grappling hold that we just called the sixty nine. I mean, it's. Like, I mean, the guard is the missionary position, and I would be, like, you know, wrestling with one of my guy friends, and he'd be grinding his groin cup into my face, and I'd have to basically say, <laughs> look, dude, you got to move that over. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you just learn to laugh about it and be clear and transparent, and I never had any trouble. I think the biggest problem was that the guys were afraid to hit me or push me too hard. Mm. Um. And you know it's one it's it's a it's a it's a balance, right? Because obviously you don't want to punch someone like you know someone my size. You don't have to hit as hard, to, you know. to, right. to be Effective.
1: It, it's not just about male or female. You know, I'm 210 pounds. I don't I don't go full force on a 140 pound guy. You know.
4: Exactly. Exactly. So I tended to look at how how they treated the small guys, and they treated the smaller guys like they treated me. Okay. I did not feel that there was any they wanted a, fo- a, a woman black belt but they also were not going to give anyone a free ride. Right. And as a result many of the women would get to yellow or green belt and then they would get hurt badly. Mm. And that would just that first injury would probably be enough. I do have I mean I had a very serious head injury when I was a uh, purple belt going on brown belt and I had like 14 stitches and they were terrified that I was going to quit. Right. Because that invariably what had happened, a woman would get all the way to purple or brown and get that one serious injury. You didn't, And you guys know this. You don't get to black belt without without one of those big injuries, right? Right. You do something to your knee. You know, you break something. You you know, get a head injury and get stitches, you know, you tear your rotator cuff. These are all common injuries in the martial arts.
1: Yeah, and there's a balance you have to try to strike. You know, you want to get your training as realistic as possible, but you don't want to cripple yourself in the process because that's counterproductive. So,
0: you know.
4: Exactly, or your students. So, you know, I think that I was, you know, I I was big enough by then that I I was able, you know, I realized that I was going to keep getting hurt. So that's when I decided I was going to bulk up and I ended up packing on an extra 30 pounds of muscle. Wow.
1: Um, yeah, you mentioned that at TAM. How did you go about that, by the way?
4: I had to get a personal trainer. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, it, and she warned me. I mean, I, I basically, she came and she watched a class. And she was, basically, she said to me afterwards, she goes, look, we're going to have to do some serious bulking up on you. And she goes, and it's going to be really unfeminine. And are you willing to do that? You know, she goes, you're going to get big. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, she's, and she says it goes counter to what all my clients want, which is, you know, it's a fee, it's a feminine thing. You want to be firm and tone, but you want to stay skinny. Right. So, um, I was a bruiser, um, for about five years. <laughs> like, yeah. Look, I
1: may be weird, but I've always liked that look, you know, women with like big muscular legs, I'm like, hallelujah, right on, you know?
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I, I do miss being that strong sometimes, uh, but it did require some adjustment when you're used to being a certain weight and having to go up and, and people look at you differently. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I think most of the men were really kind of admired how my body changed. It took two years um, to, because it's not, it's hard for women to bulk up like that. Oh, yeah. Um. But uh, And it was nice, because for that two years, I could eat whatever I wanted. <laughs> so, All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think there are a lot of supermodels that might jump on the program if they heard that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
4: so, yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they wouldn't get work, because they would be huge. I right. mean, my, you know, my fighting weight, I'm 5'7", and I think my fighting weight was like 150, 155. That's heavy for yeah. a woman you know, so, but you know, that's what I needed to do to get through, to be big enough to be able to handle the kind of punishment I was going to have to be able to handle. And that's the other thing as a woman, are you willing to do that? And I think that not every woman needs to be in as, as tough a environment as I was in. And not every woman needs to get a black belt, even in my own style. Um, but that is what's required to get a black belt. And and to be honest, most of the men didn't make it to black belt. It's a tough, tough right. style. Um, it's just that you need. You, we had more men than women to start with, so it took longer to get you know, to get women to finally start getting black belts. We now have like four or five women that have earned black belts in it. So once you break that glass ceiling, other other women say realize it can be done, and they follow, and the attitudes change.
2: Yeah, kudos, nice. Yep, uh, you're
1: staying away from your mic there, Craig. Okay. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and you know,
1: another uh, just on that topic of just having sheer mass, you know, it's always, and we'll get into the physics of martial arts and other stuff here in just a second, but uh, that reminds me, you know, one of the women I admired was a a woman that was uh, in my Bagua classes when I first started, and I did not think anything of this person when I first started because she was, you know, five foot four, uh, early (laughs) middle aged, and kind of roundish, just looked like anybody you would pass on the street. But you know, after after being there for a couple of months, uh, she got paired up with me to work on applications, and she knew how to use that mass because she understood the principles in the system. And she was bouncing me all over the room because she yeah. had a lower center gravity and enough mass to just you know knock me out of my root. And- yeah,
4: actually, you had to be careful with those shorter people. You yeah. know, the short little legs. Yep, you can't get under them. You know, and, <laughs> and and they, you're right. They really know how to make use of that leverage. And it's surprising I, I, it's interesting because people always think, well, no, really, it's always comes down to size matters. And I went, well, size matters, height matters. Where's your center of mass matters? Can you use your mass? All that stuff. Um, And those shorter people really can get leverage. I think early on, I was I was. Paired in the ground fighting with this much bigger guy, I, I was still like one twenty-five, one thirty pounds at the time. So it was early on in my training, and he was like literally two hundred and fifty, this big dude. Right. And basically, all he did was sit on me. You know, he just <laughs> and I'm just sitting there with my little arms and legs, you know, pinned under this guy, and right.
1: one hand sticking out around the edge, kind of twitching.
4: But yeah. here's the thing: he made a mistake. He gave me space. And I don't even know what I did, but I felt the space, I felt the give, and I got an elbow in there, and all of a sudden, I just, you know, it tipped my hips up and he went flying. And we were both so shocked that we both froze, you know, (laughs) like neither of us could believe what had just happened. And the instructor just went, and there you have it, leverage, you know. Yeah. And he said, dude, you gave her space and she took it. She didn't even know she was taking it. She did it instinctively, but she knew.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you were probably pretty frustrated with being sat on like an egg for that long.
4: Yeah. It, it, was, it took about 10 minutes for me to figure it out. And the guy and the instructor let it go for 10 minutes of this guy just sitting on me until I figured it out. <laughs> and sometimes that's what it takes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Let's uh, let's connect this with uh, you. Often use stuff like this, and you did a little bit of this at TAM. Uh, you use some of your martial arts background uh, when you're uh, explaining different properties in physics. Um, how how do you connect those two things?
4: Well, you know, it was a big a big deal for me when I was learning because I was already writing about physics. Um, I was particularly impressed with the judo throws, uh, the hip throws, uh, and Mm. I had a very good instructor who also had a scientific background. And, you know, one of the the ways that he found, he he was the, the instructor that really worked for me because his explanations made sense. When I was struggling with my first hip throw, he says, look, you write about physics. He goes, this is just the lever and fulcrum. All you need to think about is picture a lever and fulcrum and what, you know, your body, you know, is becoming that, you know, that fulcrum And his body. You're going to cut it in half and he's going to be the lever and it's going to work. And then you just got to turn and look away and that's the throw. And uh, he also, he was in dental school at the time and he they were doing uh, dissecting cadavers and I was struggling with arm bars. And he says, you know, when we do dental school, we, you have to study all the nerves go into the arm and the arms are all opened up. Why don't we just go to the lab? And we can practice arm bars on the cadavers and you can actually see what's happening inside the arm. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, you know, so I got to do that and everybody in the dojo thought we were nuts. (laughs) It's like, what kind of sick jerk are you that you're going to go and practice arm bars on dead bodies? But you really can see where the bones, how the bones and the muscles all work. And on my test, I got flustered on this one arm bar and he just leaned over and he goes – Remember, we were doing this in 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 the anatomy lab. Remember what's going on inside that arm, and I could picture it. And immediately, I got the I got the lock.
2: There you go. Yeah, it's
4: amazing. So, I, yeah, yeah. So I mean, taking a scientific approach to these things, you know, I, I think I said it at TAM. It's. Uh, the science becomes your superpower in a sense. It actually helps you learn the physical techniques. I don't, uh, you know, I, I like the the uh, the intellectual meeting the physical aspect of the martial arts. So there's a reason I think that a lot of very smart, science-minded people are, are gravitate towards these things, and that's one that's one reason.
1: Yeah, people work at it, you know, from both directions. A lot of people sort of intuitively, you know, don't care about physics and science at first, but after they've learned enough of it intuitively through mm-hmm. doing the techniques then they start to wonder well okay so how does this all you know <clears throat> how does this all work <laughs> if, if in description right. yeah
4: for me i've always been fairly athletic but it never really occurred to me to start meshing that with my more intellectual interests and the martial arts was the first time where i could really see the intersection clearly and um, like I said, a lot of it was intuitive. A lot of it was just me letting the guy sit on, sit on me for 10 minutes till I figured out how the leverage thing worked. You can understand something in theory. Getting it right in practice is something very different.
1: Right. and But they they form a loop if you try to study both, you know. And
4: exactly. It's a feedback loop. Exactly.
2: Yeah, it's yeah, really cool to hear you explain it that way. Um, my name's Craig. I, I uh, teach northern Shaolin Kung Fu. And, you know, we do the same type of thing. Uh, I'm constantly when we're doing, you know, grappling or um, arm locks or what have you, or something that looks almost complicated or complex, like a, a really cool throw that, you know, makes the opponent's body do something really uh, surprising. Um, and, and they always try to figure out, you know, well, how do I move my body here and here? And I'm like, look, it's just geometry and physics. You know, you got. <laughs> two points and a line and you got to kind of imagine it going through your opponent and stuff and and you've got the the gravity going on in it and so i have to explain it in very simple terms but sometimes it's it's hard for them to kind of visualize that theoretics and then apply it kind of you know layered onto the opponent's body in a current situation but it's it's there and i love that stuff i really do
4: you know, and and it, it ends up being a really good way to you know to demonstrate some really basic fundamental principles. It's telling people, look, you think that you don't understand physics, but in fact, instinctively you do understand this, and 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 they do. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. <laughs> Simply walking forward is calculated falling down. You know, you're yeah. you're playing with physics just walking around a room.
4: Yeah. Some of my favorite techniques were foot sweeps, and I was actually very very good at sweeping. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I didn't require a lot of power, didn't have to get a big guy on my back. I could just, like, knock him out. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah.
1: No, it's, it's timing and, you know, positioning is more important than having yeah, a ton of timing power. timing and
4: positioning and that little bus wheel move with your upper body.
1: Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, explain the bus wheel move since, you know, this podcast is directed at martial artists. We love to hear about this nitty-gritty stuff.
4: Well, this is, you know, that was the other, thing. you know, torque is, is, the, is the other really common uh, element, I think, in in terms of basic physics. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not, you know, you, you, you have to understand, you know, center of mass. You've got to understand balance, as you say, as you're walking forward. Um, any hip throw, you've first got to break their balance mm-hmm. to kind of cut them in half. Um, and then you got to apply a torque a, a lot of times to get their body to move. You know, you use that forward momentum from the balance breaking and then you redirect it by applying a torque. Um, and th- th- that is fundamental to almost any martial arts technique, right? Yeah. Any, mm-hmm. ki- any kind of throw. Uh, it's not enough. You know, th- there's a whole bunch of elements to it. And torque is very, very important. Um and I mean, it, seriously, I mean, I could, I could go on, but I mean, that, that's basically the fundamental.
1: Yeah, well, you also included something in that description that, that we love, which is sort of the the magician's element of martial arts, which is you <laughs> set up an expectation in someone and then you, you flip the program on them. And that's oh, yeah. how you get the result.
0: <laughs> right. You right. know, if you get somebody, you the know, if you're smaller,
1: yeah, you get somebody to commit their 250 pounds into what they think is going to crush your skull. But then you change the program after they commit that weight. You can use their weight against them.
4: Right exactly, and I think that you know when I was at Tam and i was I show I, I usually break down a hip throw and you're doing it from a static position, mm-hmm. and that's a little misleading because they're not designed to be done from a sta- from a static position, and they're not designed to be like you know to, to be used in every situation. You feel, you know, you sense, you know, when you're in a fight that a hip throw is appropriate and, and, you know, suddenly it's in position and you manage to get it off. It's not something that you have to force right. ideally. That's why you have more than one technique. Um, so what I've always loved, you know, the, the, the big moments for me in all my training, because most of the time you can get it mostly Right. But every now and then you get everything right where everything clicks and the technique is perfect and it's flawless and it requires no effort. And that's when you realize, oh, yes, these things really work. It's just mm-hmm. that it's hard to get the skill level to do it right every single time. You're not going to hit it everything exactly right every yeah. single
1: time. I don't think anyone ever gets the skill level to do it right every single time. No, no. And And I love (laughs) screwing up something in class when I'm trying to show it to people because that's a teachable moment right there. It's like, look, I've done this a thousand times, but I just messed up. Let's analyze what, you know, what got me.
4: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, it's... and it's interesting because that's one of the reasons that I kind of, you know, I mean, I actually stopped training because I moved across the country. And, you know, a lot of my thing was a lot of my commitment was about the dojo, you know, the actual specific dojo, not just the martial art. I mean, it was a very wonderful atmosphere. Yeah. But something weird happened after I got my black belt because I was only the second woman. Um, the uh, The expectations changed. And suddenly I didn't have quite as much freedom to fail because they didn't want their only female black belt in (laughs) in Brooklyn screwing up. Right. And that's a problem. Yeah. Um, I learn by failing. And I should be, you know, the black belt doesn't mean you've mastered everything. And if I can't fail anymore, then I can't learn anymore. Right. Precisely. So to me, I mean, I ended up kind of losing some of my enthusiasm after that.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, like I don't, I don't teach because I want people to think I'm some sort of you know master sitting on the mountain with a gray beard that knows everything. Yeah, you do. Well, shut up, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I teach one because I need other bodies to continue improving on, and one way to do that is to cultivate a group of people that want to practice. And uh, right. you know, two because the only way I can keep learning is to teach and to keep making mistakes. And yeah, but you know, you
4: know and, and you're a, but you're a guy, and, you're and
1: right, but you you got this, singled I out think, because you got to that rarefied I think level. That that was, yeah. I
4: think that that was the one time, the one area where my gender became an issue. And had there been more female black belts, it would not have been an issue. And I think it is no longer an issue because now they have several. Right? Oh,
1: okay, good. You blazed but, a trail for
0: them.
4: Um, But when you are one of only two and the other woman has only just gotten hers as well, there's still, you know, everybody was kind of feeling their way on that one. (laughs) Right. And I I think that it has gotten better. Um, But it was alarming and, and it taught me something very important, which is that I need to have that freedom and I need to be, you know, I need to feel free to get something wrong and not be judged for it.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of I think even men, a lot of people hit that level and they just assume that they're not supposed to fail anymore. So they adopt this atmosphere of, you know, they they don't take any chances in classes anymore. You know, they don't give themselves a chance to fail anymore so they can maintain that face or that reputation that goes along with having, you know, the the black belt or the whatever ranking. And it's kind of a shame because their students are going to suffer because of that.
4: Right. And I I think that that's where the the really higher black belts, you know, and the grandmaster and everybody, the the professors and things really need to step in and and set that tone. Yeah. And uh, if that's lacking, you know, we didn't really have we didn't have a lot of black belts. um, So there really weren't too many. There were only black belt classes about once a month. And that's not enough.
0: Right.
1: I mean, I like the fact that your school didn't just hand out a black belt to anyone that stayed there for three years and paid their fees or whatever. That's <laughs> very positive.
2: Definitely.
4: Yeah. No, it, it it took me five years, and the many people that took six or seven. Yeah. Wow.
1: Well, have it,
4: you? It, no, it was a very good school. I lucked out.
1: So, so you're you're West Coast now, right?
4: Yeah.
1: And uh, you're you're back down to your cocktail party weight.
0: And, <laughs> yes <laughs>
1: uh, yeah are you are you still doing anything with martial arts uh personally you know are you still practicing right. your stuff at home are you training anything new
4: you know I, I obviously i still keep my arnie sticks under the bed for just in case yeah, you know? right. yeah. <laughs> um yeah that, that's my my uh self-defense weapon of choice because it's the one thing that can't easily be turned against me <laughs> so i yeah.
1: Yeah, and if a kid's in your house and they find it and pick it up, they're not going to accidentally cut their arm off with it.
4: Right. I mean, I have a couple of knives, but they're, they tend to be in drawers. They're not easily accessible, so uh, um, I tend not to really rely on that. Um, so, But I don't do anything. I think if I did end up doing another martial art, a lot of that is because it's very time-consuming, and what I'm looking for now is not something that's going to require three or four days a week of training. And I think to get good at most of this stuff and to really have it be worthwhile, you really need to be that committed. Um, but I don't have time. Yeah. Um, well, like, you know, I, I think, you know, you
1: got your black belt and did that commitment in one art. It might be time for you to just, uh, you know, shop around a little and play with stuff. It's, you know, right.
4: and I think if I did, I would pick something like arnis, the Filipino stick fighting art. I really liked, I took a few arnis lessons, uh, because my stick fighting was kind of weak. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up, you know, just hiring this, like essentially taking a few lessons to prepare for my black belt test. And I really liked that. Uh, you get little calluses on your fingers because you keep getting hit with the stick <laughs> and <Right. laughs> your wrist hurts after a while. But um, it's actually – I think if I ended up doing that, I would look for an arnis class, something a little less low impact, um, a little more focused on an artsy kind of thing. You know, I'm getting older. I don't really want to take that kind of abuse anymore.
1: Right. No, I hear you on that one. Yeah. You know,
4: I, I still have minor back problems from being tossed around by these big guys. And most of the uh, smaller guys that did it for 30 years actually have serious back problems. So. Yeah,
1: and probably the bigger guys, their knees are blown. Bigger, and- yeah, the
4: bigger guys have knee problems. They have torn rotator cuffs. We have one guy that we called Robo Sensei because he basically <laughs> had just like pins everywhere.
1: <laughs> Officer <laughs> Murphy. Yeah.
4: Well, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this?
1: right again it's that it's that balance it's so tough to you know you want the realism you want it to be real and exactly and i can also want to live
4: i loved the the intensity and i it was it was i just had to be honest with myself that i just cannot do that heavy contact stuff anymore
1: yeah i I, i'm with you well let's uh let me uh let me ask you a couple of questions about some of your books let's segue into that (laughs) Uh, well, one of the first things I want to know is what's different about the physics in uh, uh, the martial arts physics in the Buffyverse as opposed to the real verse. <laughs> Buffy,
4: Bur- Buffy has superpowers. <laughs> so,
1: like, yeah, she does.
4: <laughs> uh, she has this extra super mystical strength, you know, that that supposedly makes her like big and strong and that sort of thing. But one of the things, you know, I, I, I get teased a lot about my love for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I, you know, you really. It really was a wonderful show and and it was very empowering for someone like me, because yes, Buffy had superpowers, but so did the monsters she was fighting. She was really only unstoppable if she was fighting regular mortal guys right. um, and she beat them up regularly, which was always very satisfying. They would be bullied <laughs> someone and then she could come along and just kind of knock them down without you know trying right but you know, the vampires were just as strong. So what else did she have? And so she had to train. Her technique had to be good. You know, she had to, you know, and, and but they were also very good about saying that there was something indefinable about what it takes to win a fight. Um, yeah, spirit uh,
1: was, or attitude. Or, you yeah, know.
4: attitude, spirit, inventiveness, being willing to break the rules occasionally and knowing when you could. And uh, there was one in, uh, episode in particular where, the whole point of the test was to take away her superpower, her strength. It basically sapped her, her slayer strength, so that she was just a little girl. She was just this, like, five-foot-one person, and she had to defeat a vampire with no special powers whatsoever, just her training and her intellect and her savvy and her battle experience up to that point. And she does it. Um, but it's hard, and it's scary, and she's not used to being weak.
0: <laughs> right.
4: Um and the other uh, episode that I thought was very instructive in terms of martial arts was she ends up asking the vampire spike who killed two slayers previously um how he beat them and he says what you want to play by play you know she says the answer is not how did i win it's why did they lose nice and yeah. you know, <laughs> and you know the answers would the answer was different for both of those cases Um, The first lesson was that the Slayer had to reach for her weapon, and it was actually a little deeper than that. She actually had him, and then she got distracted. She had a momentary lapse of concentration and dropped her weapon and had to lean to pick it up, and that split second lost the fight for her. And relied upon the weapon. And the second one had to do with attitude, the fact that a vampire has already experienced death, but a Slayer is kind of fascinated by it. What is it like? And, you know, that dark side of the Slayer nature that gets explored later on in the series. And if you don't understand and don't make peace with that aspect of your nature, then at a crucial moment, your curiosity is going to get the better of you and you're actually going to let yourself be killed. Mm-hmm. A love of death.
1: Yeah, um, Oh yeah. yeah that sort of takes me back to you were talking about working arm locks on cadavers you know that yeah. <laughs> some some people think that's that's morbid, but that's something you know it's it's commonplace for teenagers and in, in, in a lot of cultures and ours in particular to you know to want to explore death it's fun when you when you're far away from it or when you feel mm-hmm. like you are like i had a, I had a friend when I was in my late teens and early twenties that was a freelance mortician. And I I would go with this guy and watch him do autopsies and and bomb people. And all my other friends were like, what's wrong with you, you know? And I'm like, when am I going to get this chance again to actually look at a human body from the inside, you know?
4: Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. That's why I ended up really liking, you know, practicing the arm bars on the covers. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, we we had this idea that going into these dark places is somehow bad, you know, and they're really... I only call them dark because that's how we think of it. It's it's just reality. Um, And we do have these violent impulses. And I think that one of the best things about martial arts training for me, you know, women in particular are not encouraged to go to those dark places. We're not encouraged to be violent, to be aggressive. Um, that, That sort of thing is drilled out of us. And it was really refreshing and freeing to be in this environment where I was basically, no, hurt him. You're going to have to make him feel it. You have to hit him harder. Right. You know, we want you to be more assertive. We want you to be more aggressive you know this is not the time you know to be a nice person <laughs> no
1: that's, that's a great point the the psychological barriers that women in particular and some men face when they get into the martial arts about not wanting to ever they're just conditioned to never hurt another person even if they're being hurt themselves
2: right
4: right 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 and you know even even a guy doesn't want to what doesn't want to hit me because you know many of the guys particularly the the, the or the uh, ones who were beginners would come in and they would not want to hit a woman right and then I would beat them, and then they would say, okay, maybe I could hit harder next time. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, now I want to hit you. <laughs> yeah. um, and they had to be trained. We, they had been brought up not to hit a woman, and they had. we had to tell them, look, when I'm on the mat, I'm not a woman. Right. I'm someone who's trying to hurt you. And you need to be able to defend yourself against someone like me, even though you think I don't pose a threat. In fact, I do. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yep. No, it's people always underestimate the, the, the little guy or the woman, you know, it's the well, big that, guys that everybody think are killers have usually been left alone their whole lives because they're so big. Nobody picks on them, you know?
4: Right, right. And, you know, and that's the other thing. I mean, you know, you do learn to use that misunderstanding, being misunderestimated, shall we say, yeah. <laughs> advantage, you know, people just don't expect it. Um, Particularly when they're just joining. I mean, one of the things that when a guy would first join as a white belt, our school, the first thing they did, they had me do, they had him do was fight me. And they were thinking, oh, they're going easy on me. They're pairing me, the woman. And then I would choke them out. (laughs) Usually in about 10 seconds, because if you're a beginner, you don't know. You just, they they, they would just give me their necks. Right. (laughs) They didn't know any better. So, you know, I'd get behind him and I got these little skinny wrists. It works beautifully on chokes.
1: Cool. Okay, well, let me jump uh, to another one of your books. Uh, like I said before, you had me at zombies. Tell me more yeah. about how calculus can help me survive the zombie apocalypse. And let me tell you right up front, if that's what it takes to survive the zombie apocalypse, I'm just going to go ahead and let one bite me.
4: Well, look, I mean, I, I was, I was math phobic for many, many years, which is why I wrote the calculus book. And um, what I realized that a lot of us do a kind of intuitive calculus Uh, For instance, when we do any kind of comparison shopping, um, we're essentially creating an optimization problem in our heads. It's just conceptual. We just don't, you know, all really calculus or any math is as you instead of using big words and sentences, you use symbols and it becomes a symbolic kind of language. And once I started looking at it like that, it started making more sense and the zombie thing, you have to ask yourself, what does it take to beat the zombies? And they use calculus a lot and, and various mathematical models in epidemiology to study how diseases spread. Right. And essentially, a zombie outbreak is a disease. It's an epidemic mm-hmm. or a pandemic. Um, and it, a lot of the more modern zombie uh, movies, including Zombieland, for instance, they said it was like a version of mad cow disease and someone, some human got it by eating bad hamburger and... Right. Turn into a zombie, they bought, you know, course, they, bit zombie virus. they bit two friends and so on and so on. It becomes a sort of exponential growth curve. And that's a problem because how do you combat that? And you can actually devise a calculus equation to figure out what an optimal strategy will be. And I can tell you that hiding in the mall is not going to do it. You <laughs> learned that from watching George Romero movies. Yeah, Um going to find you eventually. You can't just sit in one place and be passive and hope that the zombies won't see you. Yeah, if the,
1: if the zombies don't get you, the marauders will.
4: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sooner or later, the zombies, even though they're not all that smart, are going to find you. They're just going to stumble on, you know, your direction.
0: Right. Um,
4: so really, the only strategy that works is uh, you, can, and you can't just pick them off one by one because they reproduce too quickly. Uh so the only strategy is when you first sight of a zombie outbreak, you've got to essentially adopt the nut up or shut up zombie land strategy. You've got to kill as many as possible, as fast as possible, to get below a certain threshold where they cannot continue to reproduce at an exponential rate. So I mean that should appeal to any martial artist, right? Lock and load. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> get on it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> kill as many as possible as fast as possible. It appeals to all of us.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah.
4: And you can say the math says that that's okay.
1: <laughs> <All right.
0: laughs>
1: nice. Cool. I, um, and uh, also, I, I, I ran over a cardboard box in the road the other day, and I was wondering if I'd killed Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> uh, I may have, I may not have. Uh, tell, t- t- tell us a little bit about your, uh, uh, your uh, uh, sorry, the black bodies and quantum cats. What's What's that all about?
4: Well, that that was actually a collection of, of essays kind of talking about physics concepts in the uh, in the uh, by tying into like literature and history and very in a broader cultural context. But I mean, Schrodinger's cat is actually a very an interesting question. And it's, it's a it's a way of sort of showing it was a thought experiment. I Everybody's familiar with this of showing the absurdity of quantum mechanics. It doesn't actually happen at the macro level um right, it, right. this rule really only applies to subatomic particles and so mm-hmm. you never would actually see you know is the cat dead or alive right. but it basically says that you know at the quantum level things are not one way or the other they actually exist in the superposition of states you know they have many different possibilities and there's a probability. Uh, spectrum essentially, rather than one thing being right one way or the other. So, so you can't just have. It. If you think of it in computer bits, something is either zero or one, but at the quantum level, it's zero and one until you measure it, in which case it choose it becomes one or the other.
0: Right. Uh, oh, I so like that's that.
4: essentially the essence assessi- the essence of Schrodinger's cat. At the macro level, this has some interesting implications. You could say that when you ran over that cardboard box in one universe, there was a cat in it, and you killed it, and another you didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> it kind of ties into this notion of a multiverse. You know, there's these branchings of the wave function, these branchings of the timeline, and it's all these different realities. That's much more speculative. We have no idea if that's right or wrong, but it's an interesting philosophical implication of the Schrodinger right. cat the box.
1: The mathematics kicks that into play, but I, I've got
4: it. Exactly.
1: Well, you know, even just in the practical realm of, of martial arts, for instance, well, funny how I tripped back over that again. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's like uh, you can, it's all about assessing probabilities, you know. And, it, like, if you look at, a, at two people in a fight, even if they're grossly mismatched, there's no way you can ever say that A will always win against B, you know. Right. There's always the chance. And then you start thinking about how you can maximize those probabilities in your favor, you know.
4: Right. And one way you maximize those probabilities is by looking at all the different variables. Right. And, you know, a, a fight, a dynamic real-time fight is a complex system, right? It's it's a chaotic system. It's nonlinear. You you cannot know the values for all those variables, at, you know, every split second.
1: Right. And you certainly can't put pen to paper and try to work it out on the spot. You have Exactly. To, you have to do it intuitively.
4: So, you know, I used to get in arguments all the time on these like martial arts uh, boards and things because there was always some guy who had a lot invested in, in size matters. And uh, this gets back to the beginning of our discussion, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's a saying that, you know, all things being equal, the bigger, stronger person will win. And it's very important to certain kinds of people that that be true.
1: <laughs> right. And, and then, But the counter argument uh, is all one, things, things are, are never equal. equal. Yeah.
4: <laughs> all things are never equal because, you know, you just can't predict all of those variables. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you have to be honest. Size does matter, sort of. Mass is a very, very important part of that equation. Strength is a big, important part of that equation. Absolutely. That's, that is a huge advantage. But other variables do come into play, and you cannot predict how a fight's going to go based solely on mass. You can say there's a higher probability that the bigger, stronger person will win because that's a huge advantage. But if that smaller person has a huge has these other variables in their favor,
0: yeah.
4: it could go the other way very easily.
1: Surprise, skill, just raw meanness. I've seen that
0: many well, times. No. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, and in a dojo environment, as you say, you're trying to make it as real as possible. But in fact, it's a laboratory setting. Um, you are not actually trying to kill the other person.
1: Right. It's not in vivo work. It's uh, it's all in the petri dishes there.
4: <laughs> right. So in a dojo, the size is a significant advantage. Yeah. Uh, because the bigger person does not can control rather than hurt uh, much easier.
1: Absolutely. Well, this this has been a fascinating conversation, but I don't want to waste your whole evening. And uh, frankly, uh, this
4: was great. I'm happy to chat. So, I, I this was actually a lot of fun. I never get to talk about this stuff anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a shame. Well, but before we let you go, do you have any reflections on Tam? I thought it was interesting to be able to talk a little martial arts in that mail. You,
4: yeah, that was actually the first time I'd seen them do something like that, and I thought it was good. And I thought we had an excellent panel because everybody had a different style. Um, a different expertise, a different a different uh, range of interests. Some people were more interested like me in the physics. Some were more interested in the debunking of like some of the crazier mystic stuff in the martial arts, which, believe me, drives all of us crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was very grateful that my style really didn't have too much of that. Um, we really did talk a lot about biomechanics and stuff like that. There were a few that really got into the, the chi, that sort of thing, but most of us were like, "Yeah, it's biomechanics." <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, usually the more practically oriented, if it's a traditional gym, they are. Even if they still have some of the trappings of that stuff in there, and, and
4: it's just chi, a trapping, uh,
1: right? Yeah. It's you know, the more practical people are about it, the more practical they tend to become. <laughs> about right, but I thought the nice on.
4: thing about the panel was it became very clear we all agreed um on on the fundamental principles and we all had a we all said a lo- roughly the same things in the same in different ways and uh it was nice having those different perspectives
1: absolutely and i i also have to say it was uh, it was a it was a ton of fun for me cuz i'd never done anything like that before and getting to meet you people you know i wish i'd <laughs> been able to bring a recorder and and you know do a off the cuff podcast just back in the green room getting ready cuz there were some hilarious conversations um, yeah <laughs> and uh you know before I let you go and, and get all your info from you so our listeners can uh can can find your work uh do you have any uh we have a couple of things we do here sometimes we uh, have little stories about swap and paint, which is uh you know, either fight stories are just some instance where your martial arts has met the rubber, uh, the rubbers hit the road of reality, and it's worked out for you, or uh, the other stories we like to get are feet of clay stories. You know, people get badass at martial arts, but they still make mistakes and have funny things happen to them. Do you have anything in either one of those categories you could you could leave us with?
4: Um. Uh. Wow. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've actually have been very fortunate that I have not had to use you know, serious, I've not, I've not actually been in a serious confrontation outside the dojo for many reasons. Um, but I will say that, you know, I, I, did, I, I did really love my, spe- my, my spectacular head injury story because it's, it, oh, yeah. it says everything. <laughs> First of all, I was trained, I was like a, an advanced brown belt at the time. And, uh, I had been doing this, this technique where I got hurt. I had done it 500 times. I mean, I, I was good at this technique and but here's the thing, I mean, you never do it perfectly every single time, and you are still, even at a very advanced level, going to screw up on something really fundamental, and that's exactly what happened. I missed a block against a bow and cool. um, a big long stick, yep. and uh, it sliced right across my head. Wow. And uh, I was fortunate that I was we were both moving, you know, because I think I, I probably would have cracked my head open. The guy was swinging that hard yeah, I
0: just, um, as
4: it was. It was just a really, really deep cut, like all the way down to the skullcap. And uh, it was funny because it didn't hurt. Right. There's really not a lot of. Yeah. The nerves. worse
1: the injury is, the less it hurts at the time. Yeah. yeah so it's I just
4: like, you know, is. so I'm just going, bong, you know, and you just kind of go, whoa, what happened? And then I look down, and all of a sudden, blood starts spurting out. And I went, oh, crap. Now I'm going to emergency <laughs> room. And uh, it was telling uh, my my main instructor didn't really see me get hurt, and he was talking to a friend of his, and his friend was going, Mike, Mike, Jennifer's hurt. And he didn't think anything of it, because he was used to, I was usually the only woman on the mat, he was used to people coming in and seeing me get slammed around and just being horrified. Right. You know, and he's like, no, oh, no, it's okay, she gets up.
0: <laughs>
4: he goes, Mike, she's bleeding all over the mat. And his first reaction was to turn around, go, don't you bleed on my mat. This is a brand new mat.
0: <laughs> nice. so, and,
4: and so we managed to stop the bleeding. It was very funny. It was a gusher, which meant that everyone had blood on them except me.
1: <laughs> it was, it was coming out under pressure, huh?
4: Yeah, it was Black Knight, in, you know, Black Knight and Monty Python. It's right. just a- nice everywhere. And they all came to the emergency room with me. And everybody, they they got beer, they brought in pizza, and they waited while I got stitched up, and then someone went home with me and sat up with me to make sure that I didn't have a concussion. And it was just the most wonderful injury experience I've ever had in my entire life. And that's why we do the martial arts, right? Because you get that wonderful sense of community, of like being in the trenches together, and You know, I still hold the record for most stitches in a single visit, and I'm proud of that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a special family when you're in the martial arts like that. It really is.
4: It
1: is. That's another thing people should always remember. You know, yes, we want to learn how to fight. Yes, we want to get healthy. But one of the things that draws people into martial arts is that's the kind of exercise in the environment, the people that they enjoy. And that's what keeps you doing it.
4: Right. So that to me is like the quintessential story, you know, of, of what the martial arts means to me. And it's horrifying to some people, but I think that the, the, the underlying message is more important. Yeah.
1: Well, awesome. That's that's a, that fits perfectly with our swap and paint. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that, that, we'll go ahead and let you go. But before we do, give us uh, give everybody your your uh, web addies and all that stuff so they can track you down for further material.
4: Well, sure. the The easiest uh, way is to find me on Twitter. I'm at Je- I'm Jen Luke Picant. You can also <laughs> just not. Google "cocktail party physics" at Scientific American and find me there. And all the links to everything else are you can find via those two areas. Sweet.
1: So and we'll put them in our show notes. Well definitely. Uh, Jennifer, it's been a pleasure once again to get to talk to you. Uh, please keep us posted over here when your new book comes out or you know, whenever you have anything important that you think a bunch of martial arts meatheads might be interested in.
4: Okay, great. Thanks a lot.
2: Right. Thank you. Never was a I thought it was a good solution. Bargain with the raisin girls She's gone to the other side Giving us a yo-heave-ho
0: Now things are getting kind of gross And I go with sleepy time This is not, this is not really happening New 5th July
1: Brings us to the end of another show, Craig.
2: Yes, indeed. Happy 40th. <laughs> yeah. Uh, haven't heard that in four years. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's been <laughs> one, but yeah. long enough. That was a lot of fun talking to Jennifer. Yes, it was. She was really, really cool, really on point.
1: Yeah. I encourage you, people that are interested in that stuff, you know, she's not only a serious martial artist and, uh, all that other stuff, but uh, a good writer, and you know I know a bunch of you listeners are as big a nerds as we are, so <laughs> get your buffy on, yeah, get
2: your uh yeah even the call back there to uh the circus, yep, Monty Python, yep, <clears throat> there's plenty of stuff in there that should give you some clues, as yes, to indeed, what it's
1: like <clears throat> and uh if you've uh if you want to see what she looks like you can go uh you can google her and she was on craig ferguson late night with
2: craig ah, ferguson sweet.
1: recently and uh there's a good 10 minute segment of her swapping paint with him It was no, pretty it's, funny
2: i like that guy I've, I've seen a few of his shows and uh he's a funny cat by himself but we'll definitely put uh put a link to that in the show notes as well mm-hmm. i gotta say one thing that was funny for me um you know as you mentioned you've Kind of been redoing your house, reorganizing and whatnot. Yep. And uh, so this is the first time I'm getting to see it. So, of course, we're chit-chatting with Jennifer, and uh, my eyes are kind of gazing over your room and your bookshelves and stuff because it's right in front of my face. And the very first book title that comes to mind when we're talking to her, as we're talking about the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse, mm-hmm. happens to be a book called Outbreak Undead. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of uh
1: Yeah I might have a might have a few zambi books in the uh
2: <laughs>
1: in the shelves over yes, there. Yes
2: indeed. So it's pretty cool.
1: And uh I guess that's about it. Before we sign off uh Craig can you you want to tell the people where to reach us? Yeah
2: definitely uh com is our main website you can look us up on Facebook like us love us leave uh, some comments, rate and review on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at hiapodcast, you know, if you're into the hashtags you can make us become a meme if you want. You can find us on Google Plus under the same name as well. If you got news stories, if you've got swapping paint stories, uh, you know, you've got uh, your teacher that uh, just really rocks and we need to talk to him all that. Shoot us an email at news at hiapodcast.com. You can also reach us individually at Craig or Dave at hiapodcast.com. Um, all that. All of
1: that good stuff. Yep. That's, this is one of those things that as we uh, continue to professionalize the show just a little bit. Uh, it's going to be
2: pre recorded
1: we'll, We're going to pre-record one of those soon so we don't have to do it off the cuff every time. But, That's right. Uh, yeah, like I said at the beginning of the show, remember, you know, it's uh, it's you guys that drive us to do this, so we need to hear from you. Mailbag hasn't been super active lately, so uh, send us some mail so we can get some more of your content.
2: If awesome. you mail us, we'll bag you. Come That's on. right.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, stick around uh, next week. We'll have another great show for you. We're pumping these out weekly
2: yes indeed and we're gonna to
1: try to stick to it <clears throat> and uh yeah that's about it all you out there in high you know the funny thing is the less we drink on the podcast the more my tongue gets tied <laughs> yeah true indeed that's ridiculous Sam. Right. yeah well we'll have to slip back out in the champagne lounge and pound a gallon or something before we try this that's again right. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Already falling off the way. Yep, yep, yep. well, all you out there money, in High land, and rock on, baby, and, day and day we day. will oh, see ya. you. Yeah. Yeah.